So, no, I appreciate everyone taking the time and doing this. Um, I'm looking forward to it, actually. It's probably the best sort of time to do these things is at the end of the day after everyone's frazzled. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. We'll soon find out anyway, won't we? I, I suppose. Um, no, I genuinely appreciate it. Um, I'm looking forward to this one. So, this is actually one that, I mean, Nigel can take all the credit. I mean, we're even on his own platform here for, for this. So, um, you know, we, we were talking and uh, we were thinking about the concept of geography uh, and I suppose we were in, in agreement really um, about how it's actually interesting, how it's potentially dying out in our world. I mean, this is a very, very broad topic, which I'll expand on a little bit further, but... Um, it got me thinking and I thought that, you know, what out of the topics, um, let's just roll with this one. So obviously that's broad. I'll go into a little bit more detail and I'll sort of parse questions as we go through this thing. But I want it to be as much of like an open discussion as possible. You know, any opinions, just throw them in there. And obviously we'll try and use context as well, if possible, from your own experiences. And I think it's going to be irresistible to talk about COVID and the impact that that's had. I think it's going to be inevitable that we'll go down and discuss that. But, um, but in general, I'm happy for us to go in whichever direction this ends up in. Um, but obviously the, the general theme of this thing is you know, exactly the same as I put in the invite, which is advantages, disadvantages around the idea of geography and how it's potentially fast becoming an outdated concept in our world. So, I'll, I'll open it up soon. I don't know if we're recording. Are we already recording? Yeah, we're recording. Already recording. So I'll kind of open it up. Um, anyone who wants to start, feel free. Um, and we'll kind of just take it from there, really. So I think my experience was with geography at the moment, obviously working on behalf of a recruitment agency has made it like actually really fascinating because I think what was once perceived as something where we would have a talent pool within a certain area is actually like redefined the way that we're looking at talent and how we compare them up with businesses. Um, and I think it's uh, only going to continue to develop. And I think it's an exciting time, but I think as humans, we always struggle with the idea of not having things like really well organized. And I think geography, when we think about practical things and tangible things seems to always come into it. So I'm coming at this from a talent perspective, but I'm, and I'm also curious to think, see how other people think about sort of reducing the barriers that geography has created and whether or not you feel as though the pandemic has essentially accelerated the way that you feel about talent and boundaries and geography, or whether it's something that we were kind of already doing and this has maybe just got it across the line and kind of popularized it. So I don't know what, anyone's general thoughts are on that with regards to talent? If I may, I can start because uh, I'm actually recruiting internationally and it's always a pain. <laughs> the pain is one from, there's a cultural approach that not necessarily, you know, it doesn't fit even when you're looking at home in your company. So that's one blocker. And then there's a certain level of um, the way the company works or, you know, Western culture, Eastern culture, US, UK, France, Germany, if you look at those markets, particularly, you can compare the EU market with the size of US, but 
U.S. culturally more or less between, you know, Ohio to Montana, they are similar. While in Europe, there's a language barrier, there's cultural differences, uh, there are even perceptions, very finite perceptions that you may not be aware. Like I had a case 10 years ago when a product got flagged because it was an Ace Milan, I remember, t-shirt dressed on an Asian model and the culture in Italy was that's a knockoff, you know, made in China. <laughs> so nobody wanted to buy it. And those are, you know, very fine. You may not understand them, but you need to understand the market and you need to adapt to those type of, you know, um, market cultural differences and, and hiring. So it, it's, it, it has its benefits, but it's always hard to find the right talent. And I work with people all the way from Japan, India, Australia, Mexico, Brazil, US, Canada, right? Uh, all over the globe, Europe, of course, I'm based here. So um, it, it's, it's hard, but you can find amazing people. And then you, if you're open you know, to their cultural differences, you can form very um, nimble teams. I had people from, you know, not even IT background, which gave me ideas in their first couple of weeks that made, you know, savings in costs of over like 25%. Uh, you never know. Uh, and nowadays, I guess it's more, the more open you are and the more you're willing to take risks. Um, in the long run, I think it's, it's worth it and you're going to be rewarded. I mean, from my point of view, my experience of COVID so far, a lot of organizations are contracting. And it's, or if you've got an established group of teams or workforce, right, uh, contraction is, is painful, but it's relatively easy in as much as um, ge uh, from a ge geographical point of view. I'd just be interested to see what steps you have taken to onboard new staff and, and recruit those new staff geographically, because I can see in, say, six months' time, a lot of organizations having that same challenge. They've got to um, uh, consider how they then go on to uh, expand uh, and recruit and attract uh, talent and, and onboard that talent ultimately. And I'd just be interested, have you got any, any recipes for success there? I'm very open where I am looking for talent. So I'm still, and even before this uh, company that I'm working with now since uh, January Teleplant, um, I'm a fan of offshoring and nearshoring operations. One, even from a customer support service, instead of having night shifts, which psychologically has a you know mental effect on people, even physical, you shift your whole life away. It's it's easier to have you know an office in like Costa Rica, one in Europe and one in Asia, and you cover 24 hours support with overlap between shifts and so on and so forth. And it's the same for software development. Now here is the best to not offshore or nearshore critical operations that you need to have close to home, you know, close to you. Uh, you can still offshore a lot of other support operations or development that doesn't uh, necessarily require very close, you know, handhelding or is very critical in nature because uh, you still want to have control of what clients see or, you know, the front line of support or critical nature. That's when a client has an issue and when a client com comes to sign a contract, right? This, those are the two situations where you want to have the best uh, people at hand, right? And you want yeah. to them to be close to you. So it's for you to level of operations you want to offshore uh, somewhere else to save cost training um, I interview a lot of people probably more than before probably around 25 to 40 people to find a good one kind of that's the ratio yeah. and it is time consuming but um, I think it's worth it 
Um, yeah, I mean, my experience of offshoring and nearshoring tends to be with other entities who then have created those teams. It's, it's I just envisage um, increasingly, and we're considering this, uh, recruiting individuals to either be retained by ourselves that may be geographically dispersed um, or by third parties, but um, you're not trading them with a, another entity. You're, you're trying to onboard an individual into an already um, uh, established team, department, whatever it may be. And it's, I just envisage as having, uh, you, you don't have those water cooler conversations and all that, all that sort of, um, yeah, subconscious communication until team building that goes on in, in, in an office environment. And it's how you create those, those uh, opportunities for people to, to, to feel part of a network or a group. Yeah, I think we've all got kind of dumped into it, really, haven't we? Mm. I mean, because I mean, I've I've always used going to your point about individual contractors versus um, kind of using service companies. I've always used a lot of individual contractors, and I've and I've sourced them through platforms like Upwork and and that type of stuff. And so over the years, I've built up this kind of catalog of really kind of superb subcontractors for very specific tasks. So I've got. I've got a, a guy who works out in the Ukraine. I've got one guy from Nepal who is absolutely brilliant at building Outlook plugins. Just mm. unbelievably good at it. If you ever need an Outlook plugin, let me know. I'll send him your way. Um, and, and so, you know, and, and, and they've always been, but I've always managed them kind of separately from the main team and what I'm actually looking at now, and, and it's really, this is all really Andy's fault. My, my, my kind of me starting to think about, geography in a different way is that I'm actually um, thinking well I've now managed to you know our entire organization has been out of the office since the 23rd of March and we've managed to maintain the culture through that so I can probably start to bring some of these people on retainer into the organization and and start to work with them and, and what because what really got me thinking about this was was Andy and I were having a conversation about recruitment and you know he said where are they going to be based <laughs> I'm like you know who cares you know and and yet yeah. his his company is still organized along geographical lines so I can only deal with the guy from central London who recruits people in central London or the guy who works out of Manchester. But what I'm thinking is actually, I don't care anymore. What I want is, is the right talent for my organization. Cause I don't think we're going back. I mean, and I'd be really interested to hear how you guys are going, but I, I don't think that we will ever go back as a software development company to the kind of office environment that we used to work in before. Um, really interested to hear what you guys are thinking about that. So I, I agree. We, we, we're not intending to go back to um, where we were. Um, and that, um, you know, is, is a cultural shift for our organisation as well. Because from, from a development point of view, I don't think we've ever um, had the boundaries the rest of the business has in terms of... Um, uh, presence in the office or in, in even working hours you know we've got other areas of the business that have been shall we say a little bit more rigid in terms of what the working day looks like um, but now that the whole that this whole acceleration that is uh, as a result of COVID is, is great in a lot of respects it's, it's been you know as as I'm sure you all agree it's been really challenging 
but I can't see us going back to where we were. And we are now considering um, the individuals over um, our working practices. So coming back to your point about individuals working wherever, it, it doesn't matter. And I've got staff now that are uh, residents in the UK, but want to move back to their home countries or wherever it may be. And you know what? There's, there's no reason why they shouldn't. Um, but that does prompt conversations around um, working hours with the group of the, the team they're working with and how they work in Scrum. Um, but we can overcome those things. They're, 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 you know, they're easy, in my opinion. But it's the fact that we're now having a conversation about, well, somebody wants to move house. Okay, well, I don't really care where they live. I just want to care whether, whether or not they're a productive individual and they're a valuable member of the the development um, community, irrespective of what role they're performing. Apart from the tax issue, though. Apart that, from, yeah, okay, tax could, issue. Ta taxes, you know, if you start to move, uh, you know, a number of developers, say, all live in a particular country, you know, you begin to get into problems of, are you establishing a, a permanent base point, for, yeah. you know, so, so we, you know, it's one of the things that we've been bearing in mind, even having people working abroad over the summer um you know we've had to keep track of, of where people are going and how many of them because we ended up with three people in turkey all of whom they're all they're all turkish nationals but they've all gone to turkey for the summer so we had to kind of go back to our tax people and say look you know is this going to cause us a problem that we've got three employed people working there for something like two or three months and then they get into well you know what what level are they in the business and what they're doing while they're there but it you know you don't it's one of those things that you don't actually really begin to think about um until the tax man comes knocking on the door in, yeah. in a particular country and having a go at you about it we did that easy because uh sorry um i relocated here in 2014 for good uh, back then i was working for amazon right mm. uh by uk law if you don't you are an expat if you are away from UK more than 83 days or something like that. So there's, it's not a problem if you work remotely for a month or two or three, whatever, you know, as long as that's the limit. And most countries are the same. And then if they're a national there, uh, they can deal with it by themselves because they will have to pay tax if they work remotely somewhere else. You just pay them through the payroll. It doesn't matter where geographically they're situated. It is easier, like you said, if they are contractors, but if you bring them under the fold, of the companies, you just have to register a company, which in some countries is easier, just point, click, pay by card, 30 pounds. In some yeah. countries, it's harder bureaucratically and a, a bunch of paperwork. Yeah, right. the, Yanks, the Yanks are never happy about having people out there because what they then want is any revenue that you've got that's being generated in country flowing through a local entity if you've got people working out there so you know there's there's a lot of considerations i think if you begin to have people working geographically um and i for one do not want to be pursued by uncle sam um you know there are well, definitely one of those people you don't want on your case with the on the contract side and the, the the contracts that we have at the minute, so in the UK, obviously the contract market's changing because of the the well the looming IR thirty five, and then obviously we're going to look at well there's an extensive talent network, but then what about quality assurance with with talent? So contracting is not not going to be as compelling for UK based contractors. What's going to happen for the rest of Europe internationally with that contract market? And if we want to continue to use contractors, 
what's going to happen to ensure the quality? Because I think what you end up finding within the UK, the geographical uh, certainty with that is that normally it's actually quite a small world. It's built around referrals. It's built around, I know they did a good job on that project. So if we're still willing to pay contractors, not, you know, upwork freelancers, you know, at five, six hundred, seven hundred pound day rates, how do we go to then ensuring quality internationally? Surely the contract, the way that we, I suppose, test and, you know, ensure that quality, because obviously if you work for Amazon, right, people kind of recognize that name, but I'm sure there's a lot of other SMEs outside of the UK that UK people aren't aware of. So it doesn't validate them as much. So there's got to be, you know, perhaps how do we look at, you know, contracts, employment contracts to make it suit for the employer if we are going outside our geographical areas? I suppose that one. Yeah, we, we've got a really nasty test that we set people before they come on board, which is actually designed to flush out whether people um, can do the job that we want them to. Uh, and actually, it's it's a wonderful self-selecting test. Uh, and I hope I hope the guy who I recently interviewed for one of our positions is watching this because he talked a fantastic game. And then we sent in the test and said, this is what we need. You do it at home. You know, it's it's a it's a very simple programming task, but it's very specific. And all of a sudden they decided he didn't want want the job. So I think at least initially there are ways that you can overcome that. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm sure the rest of the guys have, have got ways that they do um, QA as well. Yeah, so that's, yeah. that's a qualification of candidates. So yeah, yeah, testing is, is pretty key to that. But in terms of the, the sort of, that's, that's getting them in the door. But to your point there, there, Andy, it's referrals and you've got a broader pool, a, a bigger pool to pull on. And, it, you know, it's almost... Yeah, coming back to your point, I was also Nigel about about those boundaries. That, that there are no longer any boundaries to to all of that, and how how you qualify those people to get them to a to a test stage as well. And I guess the only tool that I've I'm aware of uh, is is LinkedIn. We is there any other tool that we've got that, that crosses all those boundaries at this point in time? I think LinkedIn's certainly the best, isn't it? Yeah. There's emerging ones. But again, what's interesting is, you know, we're obviously aware of the disruptors in, in this sort of thing. But they're, again, geographically located. I've got a good friend who owns a company called Geek Hunter in Brazil, mm. just focused on Brazil, because actually building the talent pool becomes extremely complex for one entity to do that across different boundaries. So, um, you know, I think LinkedIn, like you say, is, is about the only one I can think of, or maybe Zing, but I think that's predominantly Germany, right? So, yeah, again, I think it's, I think it's it, it, the logistics of it, of talent acquisition, I think, are the, are the challenge. I think the opportunity is there, but it's how do companies position themselves to appeal outside yeah. their own area as well? Because you might only be appealing to, unless you're a global entity, you're probably only going to appeal to a certain area within London or wherever you are. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think there's also the attraction piece. It still is there. It's still part of it. Um, and, and I think it's going to, you know, emphasize the resources necessary to, to recruit the better. Like in, uh, obviously I'm not biased at all, but you know, no, I think that also the opportunity is, is there, but also 
to actually practically execute on that, I think is another question because, you know, everyone says, well, there's all this talent available now, but still finding it, it almost becomes harder the more, the more accessible it is. Yeah. Yeah. Does, does that, does that, sorry, go ahead, Rob. Like you said, we have similar methods. Uh, I have a, my own interview style and tests as well. Like you said, they're not complicated, but they're in a specific manner, especially here. They're designed for you know the telecom business or the web applications or the remote support. So they're not tricky, but we had the same people that just looked at it and like, nope. <laughs> it's like, oh, I, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 and it roots out the people that just, you know, you have a CV, but you cannot necessarily back it up that experience, especially in, in, in software development, I guess it's easier than other maybe industries where you can test those skills and see if they are up to, you know, did you actually sit in an office for 10 years and did something or not? <laughs> and it doesn't reflect in, in your, you know, practical application. Um, and as well, you're looking for a certain level of creativity in software development. There's not one solution. There's multiple ways. Yeah. And then based on that test, you have a certain level or, you know, questions to find out how did you get to that result or why did you pick that approach to fix the problem, right? Yeah. So in those, you can root out talent. It takes more time maybe, but then um, I get a hundred CVs, I send out the test, I get 20 tests back. It's already a filter for my level. Where do I, who, you know, who are the people that I wanna to talk to, look at CVs. Yeah. Um, and it helps, right? If you design a process that you can scale basically, like in yeah. any business, recruiting is the same for us. I'm busy. I wake up at 5.30, I sleep at 11, I have teams offshore, I talk to them at six. I don't have time to interview a hundred people, right? Um, yeah. it, it helps if, you know, recruiters work with us sometimes and we, we develop a method that works for both. So we don't, you know, email and call every other day, once a week, because you're gonna work tirelessly. Also, it helps if you have either somebody in the ground or a referral, like you said, in a new market, like I'm looking at a new country now, I know good things about it. There's been a decrease of other countries looking for talent there because businesses went bankrupt. <laughs> and I'm taking advantage by looking for new talent that are looking for jobs, right, in a new market. I have somebody on the ground that's gonna help from a cultural perspective. I'm already interviewing and stuff like that. If you don't know somebody, you know, reach out to me or stuff like that, friend of a friend, old employees. Like I said, you have a friend in Brazil. I have a friend that I work with, you know, from Brazil. And you can ask, you know, what's the best tool there is it linkedin is it something else what's the market how do you approach it the study costs and so so forth right as long as you at least do a bit of due diligence uh, the initial impact of you know penetrating the market is hard and then when you have four or five people sure set up an entity rent an office or you know move them in the same if they're in the same city if you don't want to work remote have one person of trust that can act as a you know team lead in your ears and eyes on the ground and those water cooler conversations you were mentioning Nigel those help right if you have one people one person there um you you skate it up slowly and then it just spirals by itself and you, the wheels move but but maybe Andy also this is something directed at your industry really which is you know in a, in a sense recruitment is quite parochial at the moment in that you know it's focused very much on a specific geographical area you know trying to get people to come into central London or whatever but actually, you know, in a sense, what, what we're paying you guys for is, or I think where, where this conversation is going in many ways, is to say, look, what I want is talent. 
this is what the talent needs to look like. And frankly, I don't care where it comes from. And, and, and the way that, you know, the way that you have your value add, where you're earning the money there is, is actually matching the talent, the requirement, wherever it comes. So that, that surely is a, is a fairly massive structural shift for your industry, kind of partnering with people across the world to try and, to try and pull that in. I think, I think so. I think that it's, it's a different dynamic because actually a lot of the recruiters or as all the teams will work vertically. So it's actually within technology specifics, but obviously there in order to organize the team within the organization, it's within a region. And then you're basically trying to match up with the client, what they want. So if they're obviously for the last forever, right? It's been, my office is here. We want people to come into the office, right? So it's been suited to the client needs. I think our, cha our challenge might be that, you know, the companies, I don't, I don't think it's a it's going to be an issue for the people that work with recruiters. I think what it's an opportunity for is the agencies that are agile enough to move quickly enough on this will succeed because the companies that move quick enough and can open the doors to a bigger talent pool, therefore they can send more quality uh, to the client, they're still servicing their needs. So I don't know whether it's on from, from the cl the client might just say, I don't care. And it's like, brilliant. We have access to all this talent because you're now going to have access to more of those, those talent pools. So I think the, the SMEs and above in the recruitment market are going to have an advantage because they've done it in an expensive way, in a roundabout way, because they've already got the department set up all over the world. So they'll actually be able to, if someone goes, right, I've got a client in London, then normally our friends in Germany wouldn't ever work, you know, help and support that client, but now they would. So those companies will do well initially. And then I think anyone who can lean out their operation would be able to do it from the ground up. So I don't know whether it will impact um, the client's experience that much, but it was only won't impact it if the organization already has offices and teams set up and focused on talent all over the world. But the smaller recruitment agencies will probably really struggle because they will have only been focused on one particular area. So I, I think it's going to be a bit more of a barrier to entry for recruitment. So I see it as a positive thing because I think historically what you have is the majority of the recruitment market made, made up of small agencies. And that's because there's obviously zero barriers to entry, um, which I think causes problems within itself. Now, this actually might be a natural barrier to entry uh, where people have to actually build and maybe look at it as a startup operation rather than just a, you know, a small business in order to get to the level where you're going to be able to compete with the talent demands and the service that some of the other agencies will already naturally be able to do because of their teams across the world. So I think it will be, you know, a, a natural sort of quality improvement across the industry. That's just my initial perspective on it. But I think it's TBD on that. Yeah, because does it have a pressure on salaries in a way? Because if what you're saying is, you know, we, we've always, we pay central London salaries because we've got a central London office, but actually what I'm now saying is no, no such thing. So does, is that going to affect a lot of people who are currently working in and around central London, say, in terms of their ability to take some of these jobs? It could well. It could 
well. I mean, I think it's too, too be determined, right? I mean, yeah, maybe we'll have more people moving up to Manchester, like I was trying to recruit you to do, Nigel. Uh, <laughs> Never going to happen, mate. Never going to happen, I tell you. I've uh, been to Manchester, wettest city in England. Never yeah. going back. Oh, Sheffield's close. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think that, you know, it, 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 it might well. I, I think it would depend on the job. I think, you know, if we're keeping talking particularly to technology, yeah, it could well be an economic factor for sure. It could be, yeah, it could be a leveling factor across the whole nation, never mind the globe. Because, you know, irrespective of where you live, can you perform that function? And it then becomes to, it, it, you know, the qualifier for a salary is what role you're performing and what skills you bring to that job rather than geographic location, which is a factor at present or yeah. was. That's a massive change, actually, yeah. isn't it? I mean, in terms of, of where people's careers go as well over time i must admit though i was i was considering could i do i went on holiday to cornwall um can i do my um my role from here you know is that the boundaries now have been broken down so i could you know have a better work-life balance um and uh but but what impact does that have on my earning capability and, and so on those those sorts of questions yeah we've got to they will, they will come out in the wash, but it, is, it, it does open up a lot more opportunities for that, that balance in what is important to people. Yeah, because I'm, I'm still... So, yeah, come on. No, no, no. Go ahead. It's also, it's not just economic, it's a socio-economic aspect. Young people are attracted by start-up careers, nightlife, clubs, pubs, whatever, yep. in London. Suddenly they're closed down. I see friends of mine that are younger, they are, we're moving out of London. We don't need to pay, you know, you pay one third rent exactly. 100 miles out of London <laughs> or somewhere else, right? The purchase of a house suddenly is realizable and then prices will go down and there needs to be an adaptation on rent, business rates and whatnot in London. We have four offices across UK, so I have the ability to, to hire anywhere, right? In, in the office or close to an office and ask somebody, you know, to come in the office once, twice a week if they need to or something like that. I move around. Um, it's an adaptation of the age group. When you're younger, yeah, you want nightlife. When you're older, you have kids' responsibilities. You're looking more for, I don't know, countryside, better school areas, more green, more parks. So, uh, you know, I relocated just because of business, being closer to a startup scenery and stuff like that when I was 20-something. Now mm -hmm. I'm 30-something <laughs> and stuff like that, right? Uh, would I move now again? I don't know, maybe to a quieter place than London. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it depends where you're recruiting. Like you said, what is the role? If you're sales, you call from nine to five. Afterwards, everybody shut down their offices, nothing else. If you're customer support, you get busier after five because then everybody's free to call your office. So those functions can be covered in other areas, maybe in a different time zone, but you'll have shifts starting from 6 a.m. or from 1 p.m. until 10 p.m and stuff like that, which you have to adapt. It is possible. And then costs are involved. And also by that moving revenue from central London will have to decrease, you know, London to become competitively. You know, why would I hire a developer that charges X amount in London when I can hire one in well, Manchester or for that matter that is cheaper, right? X percentage or, you know, Eastern Europe by 25, 35% or, or Asia where it's half or more than that, right? So those factors, if we look at it from a recruiting a talent perspective is 
the age group, the location, the needs. Some people will still want to relocate to, you know, US, UK because they have kids or whatever, or they want better life for their kids or something like that. Um, you never know what's the reason, but you have a, an, you know, an open conversation and what you're looking for, you can convince somebody and you can, you know, even like, sure, offer me less in a better situation for kids, mm -hmm. I'll move there, right? Because mm -hmm. I want to, I think London, for example, is dangerous for kids. <laughs> the violence has been before, you know, with all the stabbing and gangs and once not, uh, at least last year, it was horrendous, even in my area, you know, um, every other day, another stabbing, fight and whatnot. So you're like, okay, what do I do here? Right, you move out of London. That's the solution. And culturally, most people would come into London in the 20s and leave when they get married and first kids and leave outside of London to establish a family. You know, be like average 10 years. Those will shift. I think will we'll shift to be more open. Yeah. And as companies keep their open doors and policies to hire and work remote, the need for corporate offices, you know, 40 stories high in Canary Wharf or stuff like that is no longer needed. Maybe a showroom, a sales office, small presence here and there. I mean, I agree with everything you've just said. But so what I, I, you know, I was thinking along the lines of, yeah, offices reducing in terms of uh, volume. There'll be a lot of commercial space that's available. But what I'm, I've, the one real thing I've been missing is um, standing in front of teams or working with teams in a whiteboard situation and that collaboration. And, and uh, Microsoft Teams or Zoom doesn't really give a substitute for that. So collaboration space um, that you may rent for periods of time, I envisage increasing um, and people traveling to a meeting for, I don't know, four or five hours to, to have that whiteboard experience and work with their colleagues, uh, be a new product, feature, function, whatever it is. Um, that is one of the key elements of the office that I am, yeah, I'm missing. Um, and it's how we can bridge that sort of gap and that, yeah. be that commercial space or, or approaches to that. Do you think yeah. that the companies that resist that because of exactly what you said? I feel the same way about it. I've, I've really enjoyed working from home. I've started going in to the office like one, two days a week. I actually met up with a couple of people on my team today um, off-site. And we just, because you kind of, as humans, you just want to be around other humans, you know. And I think that's going to be a driving factor. But do you think that the companies that resist that um, are going to be more successful than the companies that don't resist it and still, you know, put an existential value on teams being in the office and, and having those opportunities? It's probably quite a personal thing, ultimately. Um, you know, going back to that idea of, you know, younger people may well want to be spending more time with other people and socialising, whereas as people get older, they'd actually much rather stay at home two or three days a week and then, you know, go in for those occasional type of things. I mean, I know that if I were, if I was still in my twenties, which is a very dim and distant time, um, you know, I'd be doing anything to be in the office. I'd probably be sleeping on the floor in the office just to make sure that I could be around other people. Um, because that was my life, you know, I worked and then I played and then I yeah. worked and then I played and I did that. Um, and until, you know, my wife saved me and stopped me doing it. So, um, you know, whereas, whereas now I'm delighted to do it like this. So I think it will be, it's probably going to end up being quite generational actually in terms of, of how people interact. Um, and I think that serviced offices, um, 
and those types of accommodations will be the ones that become very successful kind of going back to mark's point you know i'll go in i'll rent a meeting room for a day it can take 15 people in there i've got bloody great big whiteboard i sit there i sketch up and you know we'll go back and execute see you next month type of thing i don't need a permanent office to do that so i'm definitely if it weren't for the fact that we work had an atrocious business model i'd be investing in them at the moment but i think you know there's a real opportunity for a number of offices of commercial office providers to really pivot um around that and exploit that type of opportunity um so i'm i'm quite excited about the future once we bounce back from this in terms of the way it changes what we do and i'll be really disappointed if we all come together again in a year or so and find we're all going into the office five days a week and you know doing what we did before i think it'll be a terrible wasted opportunity i agree agreed and i think it's exciting you could you know you can make it more exciting if you have those kind of office uh, setups where why not you know have people meet in a different city each time you know yeah. that's a bit more of an exciting life isn't it you know it really is you know and and, what, and swindon Swindon, yeah, you know, yeah, that, an exciting trip to Swindon yeah. or, or Manchester or Manchester, yeah. absolutely party capital of the world. In the I've 90s. had some good nights in Manchester, Nigel. Yeah, I, I, I had good nights in Manchester when I, I was at university in um, in Stoke on Trent, so it was about the nearest place that had a decent nightclub, Manchester. So, you know, I don't think I'm welcome anymore. That's the problem. <laughs> it's you uh, can have that, right? Um. I, a couple of years ago, I did contracting, right? So the business model was very, you know, remote, no physical presence. But I would work from home, work from the beach, work from anywhere. <laughs> we would have a quarterly meeting, like you said, we would rent a conference room in a hotel. And some people would rent, you know, coming from uh, Eastern Europe or from Edinburgh, if I remember correctly, up north, uh, come in London for a day. US for two days, you know, stuff like that. Um, and then we would meet against uh, each other, not just with the whole company every quarter, you know, the, the EU-based team. Um, I needed to meet a developer, let's go meet. I would meet a client, get the requirements, was the project three months, go work from beach. The rest are conference calls, video, you know. <laughs> uh, I had a team work from Greece. At one point we were just covering the expense of a villa for all of them. We put them in the same <laughs> villa because <laughs> they, were, they were friends and then like, wow, we know each other, okay, let's work together. It, stuff like that can be done, like I did it. Um, I'm very open and I think between us, you know, we're, we're the leaders in, in technology. If we follow through and keep it this way, uh, Sure, there'll be companies that still want to micromanage, want everybody in the office, want everybody over their shoulders, where your time card, how many bathroom breaks did you take, how many cigarettes. But that's not the way you get productivity out of people. If you're very open, people will, you know, work for you long hours, do the the needful, and whenever there's an emergency, they're dedicated because you're dedicated to them. Um, And I think it's more social that way. We do, like you said, we work hard, we play hard when it's needed. We have lighter days when it's off peak season. When you have season, we, we work weekends, we work nights, we work mornings. I did deployments until, you know, 8 a.m. from Friday to Monday morning and then sleep on the floor when everybody was coming into the office. I was leaving. I needed a break, you know, and um, stuff like that. It's, it's flexible, but you gain by allowing that the employee's loyalty and then also them to you, right? If you're you have a bad day or whatever, just go home. Okay. Um, watch a movie have a have a beer you know take a break because um, it happens we're only human 
we can't be automated and leave our problems at the door or not have a bad day or, or stuff like that. So companies that will adapt to be more social uh, will, will, uh, will, pr will thrive, I think, in the long run. Yeah, it's, in, it's interesting you say that because we, we try, I mean, we have kind of twice daily stand-ups now just to make sure that everyone kind of just speaks to someone if nothing else and we use slack a lot and we've got kind of social channels on slack and and then five o'clock on a friday i insist that everyone stops and then we have an hour on zoom as many people as can you know those who drink drink those who don't drink don't and but we have a chat about you know anything but work really and and i'm kind of interested you know that that's how we've approached it but i'm kind of interested to understand you know what other people are doing in terms of, of trying to keep the team together as a social entity without actually physically being able to see everyone yeah i think well likewise for us i mean daily catch-ups uh friday i mean we were doing the quizzes until everyone got sick of the quiz uh, when that became so, well actually i think we are still doing it i just haven't been ascending uh, just embarrassing keep finishing like tied for eighth and well, out of eight people or out nine of, uh, <laughs> uh, out, out of nine but yeah the one person had technical issues i think so yeah um no I, I, so that's kind of what we're doing and you know i think that um, it's not too dissimilar you know trying to talk about anything uh, other than work on kind of friday maybe early finishes so i think i think that's fine i i think that's enough for some people um I think others, others, others is not, you know, so I think it's about flexibility, isn't it? And it's not a one size fits all, I think is the, the kind of the key and sort of listening to what people want, you know, I think is, is the key. You know, I've, with my guys, it's just, oh, look, I'm not going to say what I want to do first because all, everyone's just going to go, yeah, that's what I want to do as well. Cause they'll think that I'm saying that because that's what I want to happen. So it's kind of listening to what their idea is and, to be honest, on my team, it worked out okay. Like it was like everyone was on a similar wavelength with it. They want flexibility. They think it's nice to kind of see people, but almost if it's for a purpose, you know, and I think that was sort of the message that came from my team. And I think that's from the people I've spoke with, you know, it seems to be relatively consistent. It's like people are happy to meet up in person, but almost it feels like it needs to be for a reason, you know, is it a get together to do a whiteboard session? You know what is the reason is even the reason can be let's just catch up have a random chat and go for bits but people almost want a reason to do it otherwise if you're in a task oriented job it feels a bit redundant just gathering so we can all sit there with our headphones on next to each other you know? yeah so yeah. That's kind of the mess that, that was my that's where we're up to anyway and still trying to figure it out i think it's you know interestingly on the sales floor so i have i run a marketing team you got the sales, the recruitment and the sales floor. They think about it slightly differently. A lot of them actually really just want like work in the office. They feel like getting in there helps them focus and, you know, a bit of the energy with, I suppose, people being on the phone around them. You know, so obviously we're talking specifically about technology, but obviously I think, which I think is it typically has been the leader uh, of, uh, across the world in recent years. So likely whatever we do in technology, other industries will follow. But, uh, you know, the insights, even within our business, you know, they think about things completely differently to the way we think about things. So it's, I, I think flexibility and, and autonomy and, and listening is probably the, the, the opportunity that we've got 
uh, to instill some trust and some, uh, I suppose, some loyalty perhaps as well. Just interesting though, I mean, talking about those those get-togethers and drinks and things like that, and then you mentioned that you kind of lost uh, lost the will with the, the quiz. Yeah, yeah. And it's how you, how you gain this kind of, or how you keep a momentum and how you mix it up. Because I, we would do, we, we do the, the drinks on Zoom. We've done a couple of quizzes. I even entered a lot of my uh, meetings with crazy hats on. So it was like, bring a hat, right? And then, and then that sort of went a little bit viral across the company. But then it's, it's like, how do you try and maintain um, that, kind of, that kind of momentum and try and get people, making sure people are okay, because uh, we've got people that live on their own. Um, but also try and bring some sort of enjoyment to it as well. It's like, it's tough, isn't it? How to maintain um, some focus around the people as well as the tasks and getting the job done. I find the question interesting about that because my natural response is that people aren't that bothered. People are just happy to crack on and, and, and do it. And that could well be the answer, right? Yeah. Well, I also, the other thing is sometimes do people always know what's best for them? You, know, you might already be in that headspace where you've already sort of shelled up and are in your own little environment is that actually good for you and how do you you know how how can you kind of encourage that without feeling as though you're pushing someone and not you know being sort of an autonomous leader i find that to be a, a particular challenge yeah i mean men mental health i think is is something which is you know people aren't really addressing properly at no. the moment and and you know we we've definitely seen some people people particularly people who live by themselves um, perhaps have limited social contact often people who have come in from abroad and therefore have kind of fewer social networks locally are beginning to suffer with it and and I think they're the people who who we have to really focus on you know there's there's only so many you know beer Friday we do like for an hour once a week um, you know so trying to identify and focus on those people I think is going to be a big job Agreed. for anyone who leads a team going forward and, and actually to be fair none of us are really trained for it you know it, you, you have to and, and that i suppose is the thing that worries me is how do you spot you know signs of of mental health problems as opposed to people just being tired you know how do you deal with it um you know these are things which i think would be would be great to you know for someone to to take some leadership on um a kind of quasi-governmental level and just say look you know this is how you deal with these issues or at least talk about it i agree yeah. because you know implicitly in in an office environment you you can observe people's body language and their behavior during the course of the working day and on a call people can put on uh, whatever act they want for a short period of time and you know more often than not you can ask people to put a video on but if they don't want to they can opt out of that whereas in an office environment there's no option and, and to your point there, Nigel, how do we uh, maintain the well-being of staff and, and those early tells that, that somebody might have been having a, a challenge uh, about their professional life or their, their home life or whatever it may be and support them for the period of time that they, they need that support? It's, it's a real tough one, that. Yeah, the camera, the, the funny you raised the camera on there, Mark, because we've seen that with people who, who we see are, are beginning to have problems, kind of don't want to use the camera. They kind yep. of, it, it, it's a real issue. It's like kind of number one, that should be number one on the hit list, I think, is when people stop using their camera. 
um, to begin to ask yourself why they're doing it. Um, and there must be, you know, someone needs to compile a list. Uh, and I'm happy to put that one at number one. That's I'm going to yeah. make that equal joint contribution with you there, Mark. Thank you very much on the list of things to watch out for. Um, but yeah, there's a whole bunch of things which are so difficult to tell um, when you're when you're working remotely. Um, you know, and I've had it with contractors over the years. There's one guy that I work with who I love to bits, but every time I pay him something, he disappears for two or three days and then re-emerges and has got some ludicrous excuse for it. And he's, he's ended up in a hospital, I think, four times during the course of the time I've spoken to him. And people, well, I don't think it's true. I think, I think he just drinks it. Um, but, but, you know, there, there are interesting behaviours that, that you get with people that, you know, I can't observe what he's doing when he kind of drops off the face of the earth. And it could be anything. Um, and, and that, and, and again, I think communication is important, you know, in, in a world where we're so used to getting instant messages all the time and emails all the time, that when people disappear, you kind of notice it. And it's how do you follow someone up? Do you pester them? You know, I don't know the answers. I've got a lot of questions, but not, not really very many answers to it. If I may hear as, you know, senior leaders in, in any industry, it's not just about making up perfect roadmaps or scrum here's the psychological factor for managers and like you said Nigel at the beginning and I, I think Andy missed it you're a bit panicking at the first couple of weeks right of lockdown because you didn't know what's going on yeah that, that's you know from a psychological perspective you are probably very used to micromanaging and controlling and looking over somebody's shoulder while you know I look at metrics I look at deliverables I don't care how somebody's you know what they're doing even if they worked only five days, five hours today, they delivered what I needed today, that's fine. Because even in the office, somebody will take too many smoking breaks, they'll look at YouTube when they're supposed to do something, you know, <laughs> listen to music, which is fine. They need a balance, right? People mm -hmm. need a balance. Yeah. From, from a management perspective, yes, you need to point out those demeanors, even on a camera. Suddenly you have a, I don't know, an unpressed shirt, you're you're not wearing are you wearing pants you're not wearing pants do you have a longer beard those are things that you know change you have longer hair uh, i don't know i wish well, <laughs> yeah absolutely where do i go and get that what somebody does is if you i'm talking to you know you nigel and mark and andy are not paying attention and you can notice that by looking at the video that's a factor you can then draw on it and reach out to people, right? I can, I can maybe help you with this if you want later on how to, to try to spot these difficulties. Like I'm the perfect example, like I said, I am not from UK. <laughs> I don't have that many friends here. Well, I moved a couple of years ago. And also I don't, uh, well, I no longer drink because I became diabetic a couple of years ago. So uh, I drink a beer here and there, you know, once in a while. Mm -hmm. But then I know what difficulties are for somebody that moved, you know, this year or last year and how to approach them and where to push. And yes, you need to be insisting. It's up to a manager to adapt to everybody else's personality rather than forcing yeah. a team of, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 people to adapt to you. You need to change your approach based on, you know, somebody may be, like you said, very, you know, introvert. There's nothing you can do there, but you can always reinforce once in a while that, they need you, you're there, they want to reach out, it's fine. You cannot force them to interact because that's their, you know, psychological profile. Just 
yeah. don't socialize, stay indoors for them is, is happy, right? Everybody's joking about that now. Um, there's a lot of things. And uh, as a manager, it's not just, you know, leading the business and the KPIs, it's the well-being of a team and uh, the creating that team bonding, not just with you, but amongst them. And sometimes is maybe putting people in group, for example, um, if they don't want to talk to you, right, because you're their boss. They maybe wanna, don't want to talk with your boss and complain about you. <laughs> have them talk with somebody of their peers, you know, put mm -hmm. them in, 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 have somebody that you trust to try to reach out to them because maybe they'll open easier to them and you'll find out what's wrong and what you can support. And it's also based on, you know, prior experiences. Everybody had good business, bad business, good bosses, bad bosses, good environment, something happened at home. You can never tell if somebody is, has a personal issue or, you know, somebody has a health issue. Like you said, the guy disappears. Maybe a vice, maybe actual an actual issue he doesn't want to say. Exactly, yeah. It's a shame. You never know. If he doesn't want to say, you can't force it. Here against, you know, GDPR and other privacy, there's only so much you can do. You can only refrain that, you know, look, you have an issue, come talk to me whenever you want to call me. This is my personal number, 6 a.m., 3 a.m., doesn't matter. If you want to, you know, just reinforce it once in a while. It's, it's difficult. Our lives as managers will become a lot harder. But if you want to strive, you have to, to you know, react and, and be more nimble and be more open and be, you know, even if somebody breaks something, I'd rather come and tell me I have their back. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. here basically to protect my team, right? That's my role. Um, me and the team will have discussions <laughs> separately, but against, you know, everybody else where there's some other issue or somebody wants something by now, I am the buffer. That's my role, not just, you know, delivering to the business, but protecting the team from, you know, somebody just blowing up their hat at them and stuff like that. That, that happens in any business. Um, it, the role of a manager and a leader in an industry is not necessarily, you know, just deliver KPIs, make money, do this, the social aspect, because if you don't create a culture and it comes from leadership, not just saying, I want to do this, but actually doing it, it won't last and then you're you're setting yourself and your teams for failure you need 100%. to try to set them up for success as much as possible do you think that the glorification of remote teams is going to almost cause a problem on that end that companies are moving almost towards that too quick without actually having people skilled up to deal with a remote team uh, do you think there's as much danger with that i mean we've already seen the glorification of it started you know um so, so do you think that, that that's a, a risk for, for businesses as, uh, as much as, you know, staying in the office and, and, and not moving quickly enough? It's human nature to complain about somebody else. Um, I had issues when I, let's say, I gained more liberties from my bosses because I delivered and I did the extra mile. Then I had other people complain why I'm coming at 11 in the office, but they didn't know I'm leaving at 11 every evening or I worked weekends. But I didn't care. What they see was, why is, you know, Dragos coming back at 11? There's always going to be a conflict between, you know, sales, finance, and development. They work in a certain way. They like their lives in a certain way. The other team likes it in a different way. There'll always be going to be discussions because, you know, <laughs> developers are different uh, in, in technology and how they socialize and how, what types of engagement they, they do. Uh, sales are different. You try to organize, but you can't force. And if it creates a cats and, and dog situation or, or arguments here, they'll continue probably 
for the next thousand years or so. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a human behavior, it's a human trait where people will see what you don't do, they don't see exactly what you do. Uh, my response in all ways has been for people, you know, I work for a boss, you have complaints, go there. <laughs> it's, it's simple because you don't want to get into conflict and explanations and what you've been doing and what your liberties. If, if a software development team can work remotely very well, they can deliver more, they have less travel instead of, uh, you know, two, three, four hours a day. Um, while sales, you have that finite, you know, window from nine to five or from 8.30 when you catch somebody in, on their way into London and on their way out and that's it. You can't do business afterwards. Nobody will, I will not pick up my, my phone from unknown numbers at 7 p.m. or 9 p.m. I, I don't care. I need my downtime, right? I need yeah. to, to break apart from laptops and technology at least a couple of hours every evening or my head will blow up. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's different. Customer support, I don't have time to call the bank now. I'll call it in the week and I'll call it in, you know. It will be based on industry and teams and there'll always be some some level of animosity, but it's up to leaders to stop it and lead it properly and explain to teams, yes, they're doing, you know, my teams do deployments after hours. They will start late the next day. If they left the office at 11 at night or they did a deployment until very late, I'm not expecting them to join the 9 a.m. call or the 10 a.m. call, you know, come at 11 when whenever you wake up, <laughs> it's fine. Because if you do one repeated, you do a rollback, you have an issue, you're on an escalation for two, three days, you work, you burn out. It's physically unsustainable. Mm -hmm. But then some, if somebody says, well, why does he do this? If in a physical office, you see it. In remote, you don't see it. So it, it will slow down this type of, you know, conflicts in, within companies. And it's up to leaders that are more senior and mature to explain you know, to younger people <laughs> or different teams, where is it standing from? You work for you know this type of environment, you're less flexible. You know, at the end of the day, sorry, if you don't like sales, go into development, you can do the same. <laughs> Just as a... I'm afraid I'm gonna have to drop for another call, guys, but um, thank you very much for your time today. I, I enjoyed uh, uh, sharing some ideas. I picked up a a few considerations as well for um, things like, uh, you know, considering tax for, for people moving abroad and, and chasing uh, chasing that down. And uh, yeah. why don't we just leave? I think we're at oh, an hour now anyway. So I think there's probably a part two to around the same topic to, to come. So appreciate everyone's time. Um, Nigel, send us over the recording, mate, and I'll, I'll get it chopped up. And, Brilliant. And we'll, uh, yeah, I think we'll definitely do it again. I think what would be good is everyone go away, maybe like, muse over some of these ideas, and then we can talk down the road and, and see how things are looking then, or if there's uh, anything that's been actioned or more considerations. I'd really actually enjoy that. So hopefully, we can get to all that again soon. Brilliant. Cool. Thanks for setting it up, Andy. Really yeah, appreciate thank you. it. Nice to meet you guys as well. And you. Nice to meet everyone. See everyone soon. Cheers. Yep. Cheers. Cheers, guys. See you then. Bye. Take care.